Good morning. I'm so glad you've chosen to worship with us today, and what a great morning of worship we've had already. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word together. Let's just get started. You know what? The book of Philippians is so rich, and that's where we're at today. We're in chapter number two, so I encourage you to grab your Bible and find with me Philippians chapter number two. Remember that this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul from a Roman prison cell, and he's writing to the church in Macedonia in Philippi. And there's such a love relationship between the Apostle and this church. They have supported him, prayed for him, been loyal to him, and sent gifts to him, sent Epaphroditus to him, and now he's responding back to them in this love letter and uh, a, thank, a letter of thanksgiving, but also a great letter of encouragement. And one of the things he's encouraging them to do is to walk and live their lives in a worthy manner as citizens of heaven that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We looked at that last week. Paul continues that same theme today in chapter number two, but he helps us to know how we can live this life uh, that is a worthy life by walking in humility and love toward other people and not self-centeredness uh, in our life. And so it's just a great word. So find with me your Bible, chapter number two, beginning with verse number five. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God hath highly exalted him and given in him, bestowed on him, a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Father, speak to our hearts today as we study your word. And Father, I pray you convict us of our sin and our self-centeredness. And Father, help us to walk in humility before you and in humility with one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A common problem with all of mankind is our selfishness, our self-centeredness, that we evaluate our life in light of our own desires and dreams and goals. And we want to define success by worldly standards. But Jesus' definition of success is much different. As a matter of fact, as you look at this passage of Scripture, he kind of gives us the, uh, a formula for, for, for positioning yourself for real success, for spiritual success. And it is radically different than the way that the world thinks about it. The world thinks about you gotta fight and, and, and push and shove and climb on top of others and compete in order to be successful. But Jesus said, I wanna to talk to you about a different way to be successful. 
and um, that's humility. Now, Paul picks up that idea and that theme by pointing us to Jesus Christ. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, a very interesting story that is found there. You remember the sons of thunder, James and John, and their mother comes to Jesus, and she has a request. She said, Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Would you do it? And she asked her request. Her two boys, her, these are two of the apostles, the disciples. And he says, uh, she says, when you come into your kingdom, I want my boys, one to sit on your right and the other on the left. Would you do that for me? And Jesus looks at the two young men that were standing by mama who is making this request and said, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, yes, we are able. And he said, well, you will drink that cup, but... He says, you will experience that in your life and some suffering in your life, but listen to me. He said, that's not mine to give, that's the Father who's prepared that. But then he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men ex exercise authority over them, but it's not so to be, um, should not, it should not be that way among you. For whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first will be slave of all. And then he said, just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. He came to give himself for us. And these disciples are followers, but they're self-absorbed. They're fighting for position, fighting for validation, fighting for their own significance. And that attitude gets in us. Our rights, what we think, my opinion, my position, how people perceive me. If we're not careful, we miss out on being kingdom people because we're not about the king. And we're not about people, we're about ourselves. That spirit of James and John so easily gets in all of us, doesn't it? Robert Raines wrote a poem. He says, I'm like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me. How they can further my program, feed my ego, satisfy my needs. Give me strategic advantage. I exploit people ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own sake. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track, to obtain special favors, your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank checks for whatever I want. I am like James and John. Wow. It's so easy for us to become like that, isn't it? Today, we wanna to look at this passage of scripture that Paul gives us. He's writing to the church and says, I want you to walk worthy of the gospel. I want you to live like citizens of heaven. Don't fight with each other. Don't get divided with each other. Be of one mind and walk together. Stand firm in the gospel.
but he says there's an insipid enemy, and that's our own pride. And the antidote to that is humility and trust in God. And so he's pointing them to live an humble life, and he uses Jesus as an example. Somebody came to Martin Lloyd-Jones one time and said, teach me, how do I become humble? How do I, what, tell me how I become a humble person. And Lloyd-Jones says, there's no formula that I can give you. I can't tell you to drop to your knees here or pray this prayer there, and you'll become humble. This is what I would say. If you want to become humble, then look at Jesus. Reflect on Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. And think about all that Jesus did for you. And at what cost it came to you. And then you'll become humble. You see, when you make it all about Jesus, not all about you, it has an humbling effect in your life. And that's exactly what Paul says. In verse number three, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own interest, your personal interest, but also the interest of others. And then he points to Jesus. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, listen, don't walk selfishly. Don't live pridefully. Don't regard others uh, as less than you, but regard them as more important to you. Don't make it all about your interests, but make it about the interests of others. You know, in this pandemic, it brings out sometimes the best in us and sometimes the worst in us, doesn't it? You know, some days uh, we walk more Christ-like and other days we're just kind of the center of everything and how it all affects me. It's about my rights, my comfort, my way, my happiness, my desires. So easily it can become like that. It happens in that, for that in churches sometimes. Well, we've got the right to do this. We've got the right to do that. Well, you know, it's not about our rights here. It's about walking humbly, loving others in these difficult days. Amen? You know, when the buildings are closed, it hasn't stopped one bit the mission and purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ. Because the church is not a building. And I think that's a good corrective in all this and a good lesson. If we go through this pandemic and this difficulty, unlike we've ever experienced before, if we don't learn the lessons that God's teaching us, then we've been very foolish. In this, we need to understand it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about loving people. And it's not about buildings. And it's not about parking lots. And it's not about our programs. It's about us being sold out followers of Jesus Christ, loving people and loving God with all of our hearts. Amen? And making Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. You know what? We can function as a church. There's not one thing that we can't do. We can pray together. Let's pray. We can worship God and we're worshiping him. Homes all over town are worshiping Jesus Christ today in your homes. We can give and we can love and we can witness and we can worship and we can do it in our homes. And we can do it in small groups. And we can do it on through Zoom calls and we can do it virtually. And God is praised. 
Amen. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. He not only points that Jesus is our example, second thing is have the mind of Jesus, have the attitude of Jesus. Notice in verse number five, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word attitude, literally mind, have the thinking and the acting of Jesus. Don't look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. And that's, that was, the Lord taught us to do that. Notice what it says in verse number five, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse six, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or clutched. What was his attitude? Well, he existed in the form of God. He truly, really was God in the flesh. When we beheld him, we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was God in the flesh. And he came to us. He condescended to us. He was in the form. He was in that unalterable form. The essential nature of Jesus was God in the flesh. But he didn't think equality with God, something that he had to grasp, clutch, snatch at, to hang on to and hold dear to himself. No, he... He, there was such a security in who he was and where he came from and what his mission was. Jesus knew who he was. And he didn't have to grasp or clutch at that, but he, he knew his rightful position. But he laid aside that rightful position for a mission. He was willing to surrender a thing of great value to achieve a cherished purpose. That's what our Savior did for us. You see, he, he came to love us. And, and Paul is saying, have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ. Because Christ, he cared for us. He left heaven for us. <laughs> Amazing. Can you have a different attitude in yourself? That life's not all about you, your desires, your wants, what you think, your rights. But could it be something greater? Could it be about God and his mission and his purpose and about loving other people? Amen. I'm praying that's what God will do in all of us. Next, not only look at the attitude of Christ, but look at the self-humiliation of Christ. And this great, great passage, great insight into who Jesus is. It's, many scholars believe that this was a hymn This uh, Paul is quoting right here in chapter number two. He says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. That's what Jesus did for us. The self-humiliation of Jesus. He emptied himself. He, 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 on his own will, on his own accord, emphatically, Paul says, he poured out his life. 
He was willing to abandon a status that he had before and to condescend to come to us. Now, he didn't become less than God, but he was willing to take upon human flesh and become a man to serve us and to die for us. Oh, mystery upon mysteries that the God who created this world takes upon human flesh. It's amazing thought. Oh, what great love God has shown us. John Calvin said concerning this great truth, Christ indeed could not divest himself of Godhead, but he kept it concealed for a time. He laid aside his glory in the view of men, not by lessening it, but by concealing it. So the word here for kenosis, he emptied himself, poured himself out. He not only poured himself out, but he poured himself in. He left heaven and took upon flesh and dwelt among us and became like a servant. He served us. We needed to be served because Christ did something for us we couldn't do for ourselves. One of the most interesting stories is found in John's Gospel, chapter 13. You know the story well. It's Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They're getting ready to have Passover meal. And the disciples are all gathered there and, and there's no servant in this rented room to wash the feet of the disciples, which was normally whenever you have a banquet meal, there'd be the host would have his servants there and the servants would wash your feet, anoint your head with oil and refresh you. And then you would be able to have meal together. So before the meal, there's no, there's no servant, there's no slave to do that. So the disciples, I'm sure, were looking around the table at the pecking order and maybe who should be the lowest and who should go do it. And then none of them were willing to do it, but Jesus arose from supper. And he laid aside his garments and he girded himself with a towel like a slave. And he took up a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He went from one man to another to another and he knelt at their feet and washed their feet. Peter wanted to object, but Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have a part with me. And Peter said, well, wash me all over. He said, you don't need an all over bath, but your feet are dirty. And he washed their feet. And I think there was conviction in the room to hear the master, the king, their, their, their rabbi, their teacher, the Messiah, is washing their feet and acting like a slave, like a servant. When he arose from that, he put his garments back on and he's seated. And he said, you know what? You call me Lord and teacher and master and that's what I am. But if I, your master and Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And you'll be blessed if you do that. Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us the love of God. Listen, it ought to cause us to humble ourselves. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus, even though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that you through his poverty might become rich. God gave the greatest gift of heaven to wash your soul and to give you life eternal. So don't go around popping off about all of your rights and my rights. But why don't we love God and love each other? Amen? It's the most attractive thing of the gospel. I'll tell you what undermines the message of the gospel is when the gospel is also, the gospel's proclaimed, but the life we live is arrogant. My friends, let's make our lives match the message. Amen, amen. He says he's born in the likeness of men, in the appearance of men, and he lived among us, and we beheld his glory. Finally, there's a consenting sacrifice that's taking place here. And notice, Jesus not only takes upon a bondservant, a slave, but listen to what he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The first thing you notice that sticks out here, he's obedient. Obedient to whom? Obedient to what? He's obedient to the mission. He's obedient to the mission of redemption that the Godhead agreed on. And Christ, the second person of the Trinity, left the splendor of glory and took upon human flesh and dwelt among us. And he came with a mission to die for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter struck that servant in the garden and the men threatened to take up arms and oppose those that were coming to arrest Christ, Jesus asked this question, the cup given to me, shall I not drink? I was given a cup, a mission to accomplish. Would I not carry it out? Jesus came to die for all of us. Jesus himself said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God has shown his great love for us. He condescended and came to us. He took upon flesh and dwelt among us. He took on the appearance of a man and he acted like a slave and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. God has demonstrated his own love for you and while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. For God so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that the greatest news in all the world? God loves you and Christ came to you and Christ has loved you and Christ has died for you. Even death on a cross, he poured out his life for you. He died for you. Well, what great love God has for us, amen? He loves you so much. He sent the precious treasure of heaven for you. He died on a cross, even, he says, a cross. Hmm. What was a cross? Well, cross was a executional, executioner's instrument 
It was a way to do capital death by the Romans. It wasn't the only way, but it was a, a grueling death. It was an example to others. And Jesus died on a Roman cross. It was an instrument of execution. If you were consigned to a cross, you're a criminal. If you're consigned to a cross, then you've been judged, rightly or wrongly. You were judged. To die on a cross was shameful. Jesus died a shameful death, judged like a criminal. But he was the just one, and he was dying for unjust ones, that he might bring us to God. He was being reviled. He did not revile in return. He was treated unjustly. He did not respond but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. But why a cross? The Bible says that we are all under the curse of death because sin in our lives and our fathers and forefathers and ancestors before us, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is none righteous, no, not one, the Word of God tells us in Genesis that God said to the first man and the first woman, you can eat it of any of the trees in the garden, but not the tree in the middle of the garden. And if you eat of it, you will surely die. And the first man and the first woman ate of the tree, rebelled against God, and death came into their lives. And death and the fall and the curse has affected every man since then. And Christ came to defeat the works of the devil. Jesus Christ came to set us free. It's the most glorious news I know in all the world. Christ came to roll back the curse for us. But in order for Christ to roll back the curse that we deserve, he had to become a curse for us. He laid down his life sacrificially so that we might have eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will surely die. And we deserve to die. And Christ came to die for us. In the Old Testament, the Hebrews had a sacrificial system that God had given to them. And in that system, they were to make provision for their sin. And that provision were atoning sacrifices. There are multiple different kinds of sacrifices but the Day of Atonement is the culmination of that. And because of the sin of the people, atonement had to be made for sin. And there would be two goats, one, and they would cast lots between one. And one goat would be chosen, and that goat they would pray over. And, there's a, and that goat they would cut its throat and capture the blood. And the blood was sprinkled on the altar. And and the, 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 the creature died, an innocent creature for guilty people. And that creature then was burned in a sacrifice on an altar to God, making atonement for sin. But the second animal was called a scapegoat. And they would lay their hands and confess their sins. And that goat was taken way out into the wilderness. 
symbolizing the removal of sin away from God's people. It was a beautiful picture. But the truth of the matter is, the blood and bulls of goats could never take away sin. It had to be a man to die for men and women. And that's Jesus Christ. It had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. It had to be a human being with no taint of sin in his nature or in his behavior. And that is Jesus Christ. John said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And Christ came to bear your sins and my sins. And so when he was nailed to the cross on the ninth hour, Matthew tells us that Jesus cried out from the cross, Eli, Eli, slama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus was bearing your sins and my sins. He bore in his body on the cross all of your sins and all of my sins. That's what Jesus was doing for us. He came to die for you and for me, taking our sin upon him. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. All, everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all to fall upon him. Amen. It's by his wounds that we are healed. Amen. The truth of the matter is the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin because they are an animal. They don't willingly die for us, but they're more of a victim in that sacrificial system, but that's not Jesus. He willingly went to the cross and he willingly died for us. Hallelujah. The book of Galatians, chapter number three, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus took the curse in himself for us. You see, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Now I want you to think with me today. Take all of your sins and all of mine, just imagine. And let's say that all of your sins are recorded in a book. Every sin, all of your life, all of your secrets, all of your sin, all of your shame, all the stuff that you've done that nobody knows or things that you wish nobody knew, all your failures, all your jealousy, all your betrayal, all of it. And imagine that all of your sin and mine in a huge book. And then imagine that all of that sin and the guilt that I deserve, that Jesus took it and it was all cast on him and he paid the full price of your sin and my sin on a cross. That's propitiation. That means that a holy God was satisfied by a perfect and holy sacrifice for all of us. And the Curses removed and righteousness of Christ can be ours when we put our faith and 
trust in him. Amen. What great love God has for us. What are some truths from this part of the passage? Is you know what? Let's don't fight for our rights. Let's don't live for yourself. Trust yourself to God. Live obediently before him. Carry out the mission that he's called us to. Serve other people. Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his own cross and follow after me. Lay down your life and you'll find your life. Lose your life and you'll find your life. He said, follow me. Serve other people. Surrender your life to God. Give your lives to others. That's where life's found. You say, Brother Tim, is it worth it? Mm, yes, it is worth it. And we're going to look at verse number nine right now. And listen to what happens. Now, there's a great principle in life. Listen, the principle is that, is this. Just like there's a principle of physics that says what goes up must come down, there's a spiritual, physical principle, spiritual principle that goes like this. What goes down in service will come up. God raises those who serve and give themselves to others. Exaltation is, is his reward and it is his work. Notice in verse number nine, therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. God hath highly exalted him. Did Jesus stay dead in that tomb? No, he rose again. God exalted him. There's no other man defeated death. He is the resurrection of life. Jesus Christ arose victorious. Death is defeated, and we have hope. Satan is defeated. Christ is victor. Amen. And he's lifted him up, amen, and bestowed on him, crowned him, given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What is that name? I'm not sure. It may be, of course, Jesus' name means Jehovah's salvation, is Lord. Lord, what does that mean? He is ruler. He is King Jesus. There's no other name like his name. And there's no other name, no other authority that will be exalted like him. You know, I think about a passage in the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm going to look at it for just a moment this morning. In chapter number 19, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to look up with me. Revelation chapter number 19. And I saw a heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword 
so that with it he might smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm telling you, our Savior ministered to us, loved us, served us like a servant, died a death he didn't deserve for us. But God has highly exalted him, given him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Where? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Every knee shall bow. That means every knee will reverence him, worship him. Where? In heaven. Now, I love this picture. Just think with me. Just imagine with me. In heaven, all the angels of heaven, when the presence of Christ walks in, every angel all principalities, all powers, every seraphim, every cherubim, all the archangels, Michael and Gabriel, and all of them, when they see Jesus, they bow down, everyone to their knees, and with their mouths, they say, Jesus is Lord. And all of the saints of heaven say, Jesus is Lord. Abraham kneels before him and says, Jesus is Lord. Isaac, Jesus is Lord. Jacob, Jesus is Lord. Joseph says, Jesus is Lord. The 12 sons of Israel, Jesus is Lord. Ishmael, Jesus is Lord. Judges, uh, who judge the earth, Jesus is Lord. The prophets, Isaiah, can you imagine? Isaiah coming in, Jesus is Lord. Ezekiel comes in, Jesus is Lord. Jeremiah comes in, Jesus is Lord. Daniel, Jesus is Lord. Hosea, Jesus is Lord. Joel, Jesus is Lord. Amos, Jesus is Lord. Nahum, Jesus is Lord. Micah, Malachi, Jesus is Lord. And the kings, the great kings, Saul and David and Solomon, Jesus is Lord. John the Baptist, Jesus is Lord. And all of us, all of those who've gone before us, can you see Martin Luther? Jesus is Lord. John Calvin, Jesus is Lord. Spurgeon, Jesus is Lord. Billy Graham, Jesus is my Lord. He has a name above every name. Ah. It's a glorious thought, isn't it? All of heaven, everyone in heaven, all those who are on the earth, not only that, in heaven, on earth, every person, all people, every tongue, tribe, nation, doesn't matter who you are, they're going to say Jesus is Lord. They're going to bow their knee that Jesus is Lord. Benjamin Netanyahu will say Jesus is Lord. Chi in China will say Jesus is Lord. Kim Jong-un in Korea will say, Jesus is Lord. Putin will say, Jesus is Lord. Trump will have to say, Jesus is Lord. 
Obama will have to say, Jesus is Lord. Every person on the face of this earth would say, Jesus is Lord. The great coming and revealing of Christ. Amen. And everyone under the earth. Satan himself, who can't wait, will bow the knee and say, Jesus is Lord. And all the minions of hell, Jesus is Lord. And those who've rejected him and are lost will still have to say, Jesus is Lord. He has a name that is above every name. And God in all of it will be glorified. And when all is said and done, it will for the, for the matchless glory of God. Isn't that awesome? That's who our Savior is. But he teaches us how to live in this life. As servants, humbly, walking faithfully before God. So how do we live for God? Trust him. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Confess him as your Savior. Surrender to him as your Lord. And bow your heart before him now. If not, you will later, but it will be eternally too late. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Today, he wants to forgive you, change you, come to your life, make you a new person. The greatest news I know in all the world is that God loves you. He loves you. And he served you. And he can save you if you will turn from your sin and trust him. Father, I thank you for this great passage. It teaches us how to live, but it teaches us great truths about who Jesus is. And I pray that we would live in obedience to you, walking faithfully, having an attitude of Christ. But Father, I pray that also we would proclaim who Jesus is and that others would turn from sin and trust in him. Thank you, God, for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, if God has spoken to your heart, don't wait. Respond today. There's opportunities here. You respond. We would love to talk with you. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Amen.